Hebrews 11 from verse 23 through 27 will be our reading on today, if you don't mind. Uh, if you are able, just uh, want to ask you to, uh, to remain standing for this reading. If you are not able, uh, I want to ask you as well to just take your seats. I don't want anybody um, standing that can't. All right. So Hebrews 11 verse 23 through 27. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is going to be the text that our exhortation on this morning is taken from. It reads from verse 23. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. He thought it was better to suffer with, for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eye on the one who is invisible. Go ahead and have your seats if you don't mind. As I recap really quickly to get us abreast as to where we've been and, and to where we are, I want to remind us that last week we looked particularly at the account of Noah in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And if you are a visitor here with us on this morning, I just want you to know that what we've been doing and what we will continue to do at least through the rest of the year is we have been canvassing through, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 11, to identify some of these main characters in this hall of faith, as it were, that the Hebrew writer identifies to the readers at the time. And so for us, what we've been doing is I've been taking out uh, some of the, the main characters that, that kind of typify some of the main points that the, the author is, is talking about in, in those pericope in that cluster of verses uh, on Sundays. And on Wednesdays, what we've been doing is we've been doing a deeper dive. So, uh, you know, I, I want to encourage you if you do have the time uh, and, and the opportunity to come with us on Wednesdays and we'll go a little bit deeper into some of these things. But I, I'm, I'm taking, as it were, just this cluster of verses here and I'm looking specifically at the person of Moses on this morning and there is a particular point that I believe the, the writer of Hebrews would, would, would really want his audience to see. But just to recap where we were uh, on last week we were in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7 and that really falls within the purview verse, verse 7 even as he was talking about, about Noah uh, it, it falls within the cluster, a cluster or a list of names that he would have shared from verse 7 of chapter 11 all the way through to verse number 22. Uh, and on last week, we really looked at Noah uh, to really drive home the point that, that really simply stated, because he said it, I'll do it. Uh, and the whole point about uh, what we were looking at with Noah on last week was the fact that we need to have a faith 
uh, that trust in God even to the degree and to the extent that maybe when we even can't see the thing that God said, we're not necessarily just trusting in the thing that God said in as much as we're trusting in the God that said it. And so really that's where we were with Noah. But again, I want to remind us and reiterate to us that there is a list of names. And if I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you're opening up in your Bibles right now. There is a list of names that the author gives from verse number seven. And he goes through all the way even to verse number 22. Uh, some of the names that you would encounter within these cluster of verses would be, of course, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and then the last name he would request and make known would have been Joseph. So as we think about this section in Hebrews 11, verse 7 through 22, and I'm really doing this as a recap to get everybody up to speed, uh, the, the, the author, as he begins to present the, the theme of faith and the testimony of faith, he, he goes through this list of names uh, to identify what we would consider on today as the, the faith effect. What are some of the ways in which faith impacted them? And by extension, what are some of the ways in which faith is expected to impact us? And so as you think about verse number seven, this is the teaching moment. As you think about verse number seven through verse number 22, the author wants them to recognize that there were three main ways, and the same is true today. There are three main ways, and this is not the sermon, but there are three main ways in which faith impacted them, and, and, and also there are three main ways that faith ought to impact us. Let me, show, let me share this with you really quick, and we'll make our way to our text. In verses 7 through 12, the author wanted them to see that the impact of faith is that, number one, it impacts their vision. So even though they couldn't see physically what God was saying, faith helped them to see past the physical, past the impossible, into that which God said and deemed possible. Uh, so that's where we find Noah preaching and building this ark for a hundred years and, and preaching about the great flood that was to come. Everything that seemed impossible to man, Noah had the faith enough because God blessed him to have vision. So faith impacts our vision. That's verses 7 through 12. Number 2, verses 13 through 19. If you're taking notes, he wants them to see also that not only does faith impact our vision, but faith impacts our actions. Uh, in other words, when, when we're trusting in the vision that God has given to us, as they were trusting in the vision that God had given to them, therefore now they, it impacts their actions while they were present, while they were alive. It, it, it motivated them and it encouraged them to move. So faith not only impacts our vision, say vision. I, I just want to make sure you're there with me. Faith also impacts our actions, say actions. And then thirdly, in this cluster of verses, verses 20 through 22, the author wants them to recognize that our actions impacts our outcome. Say outcome. 
So these are the three things in verses 7 through 22 that the, the author wants them to recognize. Faith impacts, number one, their vision. Faith impacts, number two, their actions. And faith also impacts the outcome as, they, as their actions follow their vision. And so uh, this is key. This is key. Verse number 13, if you're just following, this is the teaching point before we move on. Verse number 13 is, is one of the, 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 the main points or the key verses in this cluster of text and onward. Because you're, if you're there in Hebrews 11 and verse number 13, it would, it would make explicitly clear that they died, though in faith, having not yet received the promise. So then Hebrew writer, why are you even bringing up these names to begin with? Because I don't want you to focus so much on the fact that they, they died, but I want you to focus on the fact that they died in faith, even though they had not yet received the promise. But he says they saw afar off and they embraced the vision, they embraced the promise of God to the extent that even though it was not fulfilled in their lifetime, God ultimately brought the promise to fruition. So when God said to Abraham, I'll, I'll make your, your, your descendants as the sand of the seashore and, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Abraham didn't live to see that promise come to its fulfillment, but he trusted in God even though he didn't live to see the promise fulfilled in his lifetime. What's the point, Brother Morgan? The point is simply this, that faith ought to propel us to understand that God's promises are sure, God's promises are true, even though you and I may not live to see it in our lifetime. What's the point, uh, Hebrew writer? I'm trying to get these individuals who, who, are, who are worried about the coming Messiah. I'm trying to get these individuals who are turning from faith because Christ hasn't come back yet to recognize that the people in the past that they've looked up to, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they didn't, many of them didn't see the promise that God made to them, but it didn't stop them from being faithful to the God that said it. But here is, here is the, the, the crux of it. Here is where the rubber meets the road. It was not that God didn't fulfill the promise. It just didn't happen in their lifetime. So the same way that they could exemplify faith, waiting on a promise that didn't happen in their lifetime, the encouragement was to the Hebrew writer's audience that you too, even though you've, you've been hearing Christ is going to return and he hasn't come back yet, even if Christ doesn't come back in your lifetime, it shouldn't deter you from being faithful now in the present. Because here it is, God did in Jesus and fulfilled the promise to Abraham in Jesus, in the coming of Jesus, it's the same way he'll fulfill the promise to us today in the second coming. You don't, don't miss it. The first time God fulfilled the promise to Abraham was when Jesus came on the scene the first time. Now he's going to fulfill the promise to us when Christ returns the second. And if he came the first time, this is the point, William. If he came the first time and it proved that God is a God that keeps his promises, then who is to say that he is not going to come the second time when God has already proven himself to be a trustworthy God? 
so he's trying to help these, 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 these individuals recognize. I, it, it's not time for you to turn your back because you can't see. What you need is faith to have a vision to see what you can't see past with your physical eyes. What you need is a faith and a vision to help motivate you in your life. And what you need is some actions that could help you with a divine outcome. So he encourages them, and this is where he kind of brings us now really quickly, all that to get to where we are in our text. Uh, and so this is the point now as he is bringing them closer and closer and closer to defining to, for them what faith is and what faith looks like. So that brings us to our text where we are, and it's interesting where we are as he's talking about the person of Moses. Uh, as we think about the person of Moses that he identifies here where we are, here are some things I want us to see. From about verse number 23, he says, It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's commands. From verse number 23 to about verse number 27, the author is going to try to make one point by giving several examples. Every now and then I would have somebody, or particularly my wife, <laughs> that would say to me, you know, sometimes you give too many examples. And sometimes all you need to, to say it is once. And you know, people, people aren't slow. They, they, they understand when you make one example, they get it. You know, sometimes you don't have to say two and three, find two and three different ways to say the exact same thing. And I'm smiling because I, I don't think anybody's slow. I'm smiling because I'm excited. And I, I want to give as many examples as I can because this is exciting stuff to me. When you see how God works in your life, it's not just one thing you could give God thanks and praise for. When you see how God works in your life and you're grateful to the goodness and the grace of God, you could start giving a list of, of, of how God has touched you. You could start giving a list of how God has been good to you. It's not just the one thing. It's not just the fact that I'm living in a home even though I'm renting and I have heat and I have AC. That's not just it. It's, it's not only the fact that I have, a, I have a wife and I have kids. That's not just it. It's not the fact that I have nice clothes. That's not just it. I could give you a list of all the reasons why I could look to God and say, thanks be to God for I serve a great and powerful God, right? And so the Hebrew writer, he's making one main point, but he gives multiple opportunities for them to see the value in what he's about to share. So guys, I want to I wanna share with you really quickly from this cluster of verses, a message I've entitled, Add I would rather have you. I would rather have you. Luther Vandross, for those music enthusiasts, and if you don't know who Luther Vandross is, I, 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 just, wanna, I just wanna shame my generation for not allowing the younger generation to know who Luther Vandross is. So if you are here and you don't know who Luther Vandross is, shame on my generation and the older generation for not making that known. Luther Vandross is, is one of the voices and iconic names and voices in music, particularly among not just African Americans, but any type of musician to begin with, they will tell you that Luther Vandross was what many would refer to as a trailblazer. 
Uh, he, he had a, a unique voice and, and he used his voice to, to, to express certain moods, particularly in the realm of love. And with love sometimes comes heartbreak. And so Luther Vandross is known for uh, a number of various hits. Uh, uh, you, you've heard the, the, the old line, uh, a chair is still a chair, even when no one's sitting there. You've, you, you've probably heard this song, I'd love to dance with my father again. But there was a song that Luther Vandross sang, and it still has hit the number one, uh, well, I say number one, it's, it's been in the top uh, 50 songs, love songs, uh, for the past couple of decades now. It's, it's, it's the song entitled, I'd Rather. And, and while you may not identify with all of the verses in the song, the, the part in the song that I believe most of us could identify with is the chorus. Uh, unless you super ultra uh, religious folk here, you know, kind of crucify me. I just, I just want you to give me a chance just for a little bit. Because I, I know this isn't gospel, but I, I think it's relevant nonetheless. And the words to the, to the chorus is simply this. I'd rather have bad times with you than have good times with someone else. Watch it. I'd rather be beside you in a storm than safe and warm by myself. I'd rather have hard times together than to have it easy apart. But don't miss the last line. I'd rather have the one who holds my heart. This is a love ballad. This is a testimony of a man who desires to be with his loved one even if the surroundings aren't conducive. It's someone who would rather be in a storm. It's someone who would rather be on the streets. It's someone who would rather be poor. It's, it's someone who would rather suffer the, the ill effects of this side of heaven as opposed to living life in wealth and riches without the person that he or she loves. But notice the last line he says, I'd rather have the one who holds my heart. It was Jesus, and I, I tell you, Jesus was, was, was the greatest of all teachers. He was the greatest of all preachers. But I, I'll tell you, you know, Jesus used to rap. Before, before rap became a thing, Jesus used to rap. Before musicianhood was a thing, Jesus was the number one musician. As a matter of fact, we as human beings have the capacity to be as artistic as we are because Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit has allowed us because we have been made in their image and after their likeness. They have allowed us to express part of who they are. So Jesus uttered these words as he was rapping to some folk on the mount at one point. He said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth not corrupt, nor thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Watch it for where your heart is. For where your treasure is, sorry, there will your heart be also. So the question at hand here for the next couple of minutes or so is, who has our hearts? Who has our hearts? 
as we think about this cluster of verses from verses 23 through 27, there are five things I want to give us really quick. I'm just going to list these. There are five things I want to give us really quickly. If you're following these verses, there are five things in this text that I believe the author wants us to see. As we make these observations in the text, as you come to, to verse number 23, here's what I want us to see. The author is saying these individuals rather stood with the eternal king than any earthly one in their lifetime. You think about Moses' parents. Moses' parents were, were willing to stand with the God of heaven over standing with the king. And if we really have Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, if, we, if Jesus is the one who truly has our heart, we ought to have the same type of mentality that says, I'd rather stand with the eternal king than an earthly one any day. You come down to verse number 24, and, and here is what it would be saying. I'd, I'd rather be identified with Jehovah than attach my identity to anyone or anything else. It said that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If I could just say something really quickly for 15 seconds there, I need for us to understand and appreciate that being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter is not only to be identified with royalty on earth, but it was also to be identified with deity according to the religious system and practice of Egypt. And so he is saying, I, I, I don't want to identify in any way, form or fashion. My, my identity will not be wrapped up in anything of this world, but my identity, I want my identity to be wrapped up in Jehovah God. Too many of us, just, just ponder on that for a second because I need to go on to the third one really quick, but just ponder on that for a second. Where, where is some of our identities wrapped up in? And mind you, some of us have our identities wrapped up in some good things, but I need for us to understand and appreciate what the Hebrew writer is trying to help his audience and by extension us to recognize we need to have our identity wrapped up wholly and solely in God. Too many spouses have their identity wrapped up in their spouses. Too many kids have the identity wrapped up in their families. Too many of us have our identity wrapped up in our jobs. Too many of us have our identity wrapped up in all these different former things in, in this world. And he's trying to help us to see, no, 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 no. We, we, those things are good, but be willing to be identified and have your identity wrapped up in Jehovah God, no one and nothing else. Number three, as you make your way down to verse number 25, here it is. He said, I'd rather have pain with the people of God. This one is hard sometimes. Than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a time. In, it, uh, notice what's going on here. It's one thing to say that I'd rather have you, God. It's one thing to say I'd rather have you, Jesus, but, but didn't, didn't Paul in his teaching, didn't Jesus, when he, he met with Paul the first time, when, 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 when Paul thought he was just simply persecuting people, what Jesus allowed Paul to recognize was you weren't just persecuting people, you were persecuting me. 
Didn't Paul say to the brethren in Ephesus, and by extension us, didn't he say to us that even though we are many members, we are of one body, and that one body is, in fact, Christ. And, and so I want us to see what the Hebrew writer is saying here. We, we, we have to be willing to, to, to suffer with the people of God, rather choose to suffer with the people of God, to, to go through oppression with the people of God, rather than enjoy the pleasure of sin or ungodliness for a time. So to, to give yourself in oppression to Jesus is to also give yourself to suffer oppression with the people of God. Don't be too quick to run away from the people of God. And by extension, here's the, here's the adverse side of it. Don't be too quick to push people away from the body of Christ. It's so easy for us without sometimes even giving thought to recognize that there are times when we push people away from coming to Christ. When we push people away from coming into our sphere and we do so by not opening up our hearts and our minds to receive people where they are. Could I say something right there, JP? I think sometimes what we need to do is we need to stop treating church the way that we function in our homes. Because the Lord's house is not my house nor your house. You and I have preferences about how we do things and how people should operate when they come into our space. This is not our space. Though the money may have come from our pockets to purchase the pews, it was God's money to begin with that he blessed us with. Though we sacrificed to be able to pay so that we could erect this edifice, this is really God's and not ours. So we need to be really careful about taking what we do in our own homes and we need to be really careful about the standards that we have for ourselves in our own environment and bringing it into a place that is supposed to be for everybody. And so I'm saying that because sometimes we come into a space where we feel like, well, this is who I am and this is what I'm accustomed to doing. Well, this is not your space. This is God's space. So he says, I, I rather, I rather now, watch it, I rather suffer oppression with the people of God. What do you mean, Moses? Well, here is what. I rather step out of my own comfort and dwell with God's people than to stay in a place that I'm just going to be warm and dandy for the rest of my life. In other words, we have to be willing to walk with people in their pain. We have to be willing to walk with people in their poverty. We have to be willing to walk with people as they struggle to navigate their past and their current trauma. We have to be able to walk with people in their current state 
of brokenness because not every single person that walked through those doors have it all together. Uh, some people talk a certain way. Some people dress a certain way. Some people act a certain way, but guess what? That may not be what we're accustomed to, but that, that is where faith comes in, that we must be willing when people come into the sphere of God's house, we must be willing to walk with them. Step up and step out of our comfort zone. As you make your way down to verse number 26, here is what he says, I'd rather suffer for Christ than compromise for the sake of earthly security and stability. I know that stability might keep the lights on. I know that security might mean that I have the ability to swipe my card and buy some food or do whatever I want when I want, but for the cause of Christ, I will not compromise even if it means giving up earthly security and stability. But here's where I want to end on this morning. As you make your way into verse number 27, the question that arises out of the statement that's made. Verse 27 reads like that, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt not fearing the king's anger. But watch this. He kept right on going because he kept his eye on the one who is invisible. Here's the question that the Hebrew writer leaves us with. Are you willing, are, are we willing to turn our backs on anyone and anything that has or is keeping us from walking with Jehovah God. It says, when Moses turned his back on Pharaoh, he did so for good. When Moses forsook Egypt, he did so without the intention of ever going back. All because he rather had God than anyone or anything else. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to, we're going to sing a song and we're going to pray. And I, want to, I want to ask the question, who really has your heart? For some of us, if we're honest, it, there might be a name attached to that question. For some of us, if we're honest, there might be a thing attached to that question. But ultimately, the answer that we ought to be seeking to that question is God. And if someone or something else takes the seat that God is supposed to have in your life and my life, now is a good time to turn our lives back to the Almighty. I'd rather have hard times with you than good times with someone else. I'd rather be beside you 
in a storm than safe and warm by myself. I'd rather have hard times with you than to have it easy apart. I'd rather have the one, Jesus, who holds my heart. Let's sing this.